Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. A lot has happened over the last 12 months in politics here in Arizona, from a lengthy and oftentimes contentious legislative session to a series of high-profile election races to the state's senior senators switching political parties. To talk about the year that was in state government and politics, I sat down last week with Stacey Pearson of Lumen Strategies and Marcus Delartino of First Strategic, and we started with the legislature. I asked Marcus what were his biggest takeaways from 2022 at the state capitol. Ooh, that's a that's a, a hard one. But I think I I don't think you can get away from the conversation without the change in the tax code, um, and certainly you know bringing down Arizona state income tax. I think that was probably one of the biggest. Second would have to be ESAs, school vouchers, school vouchers. Um, and past that, I think we're like there's a mix for third. I don't know what to go with. Maybe Stacy has an idea. I think I'd go with the legislative referrals. So mm. the attack on direct democracy that largely went unnoticed, the 60-40 um, that ultimately failed. I'm sorry, the 60-40 that ultimately passed. You need to get 60% yeah, to pass that, a tax increase. Right. What, which, because Arizona is a revenue-neutral state, means almost all, if not all, ballot initiatives, citizens' initiatives have a fee or a tax associated. And so I think that is something that's going to haunt the state for decades. We started the legislative session with a fight over a school spending limit known as the aggregate expenditure limit, which is maybe one of the more awkward phrases to have to say on the radio. Mm. Um, This was a really big fight right off the bat. It didn't get resolved super easily. And we could potentially be dealing with this yet again. Stacey, do you see any momentum for a referral, speaking of referrals, of maybe just asking voters if they still actually want this thing? I think we're going to see a comprehensive education initiative, or at least some folks exploring that for 2024. Um, But really, we've got to pull the entire sausage apart and repack it if we want to fix education funding in Arizona. We know that voters are tired of going back for bonds and overrides every other year, especially when their property taxes are going up anyway because their housing value is increasing. Marcus, does it kind of undercut the argument that many lawmakers, especially Republican lawmakers, make about how much more they are funding education when schools are worried about whether or not they'll actually be allowed to spend all that money? Yeah, I think we're sending mixed messages because we're continually talking about the billions of dollars that we've plowed into traditional public education in Arizona. But now we're talking about whether they have the authority to spend it. Keep in mind, the money has already been appropriated. Okay, it's it's there. Um, The question is whether the schools can spend it. It will be a big deal. And to Stacey's point, we do need at some point a permanent fix for this because every year this gets a little bit old. So we talked a little bit about how this year's session was – Difficult, I think, is maybe a kind way to say it, especially for folks like you who who do what you do. I want to ask you both about the budget because that is really one of the things that held adjourning the session up at the end when Republicans could not get enough votes and eventually had to go to Democrats and pass a bipartisan budget for the first time maybe since Janet Napolitano was governor, maybe. Um, What do you make of – what happened, Stacey? And I wonder if you see that maybe as a template going forward now that we have a Democrat or will have a Democrat as governor. I think that a bipartisan budget is going to be the norm, not the exception moving forward, at least during Katie Hobbs administration. And it's just mind boggling to me that we do have an expenditure limit set 
in the state on education, but not on corrections, prison spending. I mean, these are things that the general electorate is starting to realize make no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. And so I think we're going to start seeing some really interesting um, demands. Do you think that Republicans should be thinking in the legislature? Republicans still control the legislature. Should they be thinking from the beginning, OK, we're going to have to come up with a bipartisan budget? Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 that's this not going to happen. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to crack a joke, but I better not. Um, I think, well, first of all, we should all be sort of happy that we're seeing record revenues in Arizona. Um, and I think we, to a certain extent, we've fundamentally changed Arizona's economy. We used to sit around and wonder how many houses were being built. Now we're looking at computer semiconductor plants being, right. being built. So we're, we're fortunate to that end. And, and with our growth, I think we'll be somewhat insulated if a recession were to hit. I'm not saying it won't affect us, but I think we're, we'll have a less dramatic effect in Arizona than it may other states. That being said, um, traditionally what happens is the Republicans come up with their plan. The, the minority party, the Democratic Party will come up with their plan um, and they'll duke it out for a while. And that will go on for quite some time as these holdout Republicans. I mean, this is nothing new. This has been going on <laughs> ever since I was a kid. There will be a few Republican holds out, holdouts that will tell the Republicans this budget still spends too much money. That in turn forces them to then go to the Democrat Party and negotiate a deal. And the irony, of course, is it always ends up costing more. Um, so, you know, you would have been better off keeping those Republicans, but for whatever reason, they decide not to not to go along and uh, and everything gets more expensive. And that will probably be the case this year. But do those holdout Republicans maybe marginalize themselves, given that the governor, a Democrat, will have to buy into the budget this year? Yeah, I don't. I, there's no doubt about it. I mean, once you put your feet, put your marker down and you're that strong right out of the gate that there is no way I will vote for this budget, then you completely marginalize yourself. I mean, they, your own party then therefore doesn't have to come to you and say, what what can I do to make this budget better? Stacey Marcus mentioned uh, increasing revenues and that's great, except the conventional wisdom, and it, this was borne out last year, that more money means a harder budget because when there's no money, you just say no to everybody. When there's more money, you have to say yes to some people and no to others. Assuming that that continues where, you know, more and more money is coming into the state. Does does that maybe add another layer onto the the partisan nature of the budget? You also have a lot of money to allocate. Um, as a Cortez High School graduate from the 90s, my entire life philosophy is based on 90s hip hop. Okay. And so, yes, more money is more problems, <laughs> um, as they explained then and now. Um, I think yeah, I think that's going to be the issue is is who how much gets is it going to be reducing taxes? It's going to be paid out, paying down PSPRS debt. I mean, is it are there one time uses for some of this money that is um, in excess? I mean, it, you know, and really there there does come a point where there's too much money to spend. And perhaps we need to look at, um, you know, lowering some of those revenues. Mark, I said this at the beginning of last session. I think it'll be valid again for this session. But that is, if you've ever seen, if you think politicians fight when there is no money, <laughs> wait until they see when there is a bunch of money to be spent. Yeah. The fight will be on. Stacy, anything else that the legislature did that maybe flew under the radar a little bit that for you is particularly impactful for the way Arizonans live every day or sort of impacts their day-to-day -day lives? I think that the continued assault on transgender children is to the Republicans' party's detriment and even more so to our community's detriment. I mean, there comes a point where one of the first bills filed is to, to eliminate pronouns. 
in classrooms that don't align with the original birth certificate. That's just insane. I mean, this is just nuts. These We've got a population that needs support and most importantly, just needs to be left alone. <laughs> like, leave these kids alone. And, you know, even the, some of the sports um, bills that came through last year, the teams, you know, the assigned gender at birth. I mean, my daughter played competitive sports from as early as she could get in through high school. And there wasn't a single time she was on the volleyball court and I wanted someone to go check the shorts of a kid she was playing with. I mean, it's just the uh, the level of absurdity. And knowing that one of the first bills filed is um, is an anti-trans piece of legislation, um, we're just going to get distracted from what really matters, which is reducing prison population, funding education, um, building highways, modernizing our grid, maybe... I don't know, finding some water here or there. And we're talking about kids and their genders. Marcus, what do you think? Anything that sort of flew under the radar that the legislature did this past year that's particularly impactful? Uh, well, I don't know if it's under the radar, but I, I think decreasing state income tax to two and a half percent was a massive. I, I don't think most people knew what happened when it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're sort of going to figure that out when they go pay their next taxes. And so I do think to a certain extent that was under the radar, but it was a massive, I mean, this is a huge policy change. So 2022, of course, was dominated by election talk. And we could do a full hour (laughs) analyzing the elections and the results and what they mean going forward. I don't really want to do that. But I want to ask each of you your takeaways from the midterms and how you see those lessons maybe being applied or not being applied going forward. And Stacey, I'll start with you. I think the ballot propositions are one area we haven't spent too much time talking about or really isn't in the public consciousness. Um, direct democracy in particular. I mean, there was a very direct um, power grab by the Arizona legislature that failed that would have allowed them to rewrite initiatives that had passed mm-hmm. if something was found to be illegal or unconstitutional. And, and in the grand scheme of things, that would have meant that they could have reinstituted a prohibition on uh, marijuana because it's illegal federally. So I think that's a little nutty. I think the 60-40 is going to haunt us forever. And the disclosure that Terry Goddard uh, passed Prop in 11. Prop 211. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think those. I think the ballot propositions are going to be um, very interesting. And, and even the fire district that failed, that in large part was a proposition to help shore up firefighting services in rural Arizona. Um, I'm not sure that those folks had the budget they needed to get that message out. And so that's and now with 6040 um, and the increase in signatures, it's going to be really hard for those guys to get back on the ballot. Marcus, what do, what do you think I mean, in terms of takeaways from the midterms and, you know, how those lessons might or might not be applied going forward? I, I don't think I can leave this conversation <laughs> without pointing out the fact that the Democrats sort of did a sweep of statewide offices. And I, there were some points, you know, Corpcom races, of course, is a different animal. But, you know, I think Republicans have to go back and obviously reorg uh, and reevaluate messaging. And I think fundraising was dismal for some of these candidates. Um, and I think that cost them. But certainly messaging was a problem. And I think we just got to we've just got to rip the Band-Aid off and move on. I mean, frankly, to some extent, I think we look you know, a little bit like crybabies when we continue to talk about these elections. Let's fix it and move on and start talking about tax policy, start talking about education policy, start talking about DOC or rising crime rates or the one issue that I don't think anybody ever spends a 
minute talking about is homelessness. Yeah, housing certainly is an issue that lawmakers in 2022 kind of talked about, but didn't really seem to do a whole ton on. Do you guys think that might be something that that comes up in the new year? It is certainly coming up in polling. So we have it's and it's the first time it's come up in polling that I've seen, at least for Democrats and Republicans alike, is folks are very, very concerned that their kids can't afford to live in the neighborhoods they grew up in. Mm. I mean, this is me personally with a 20 year old. I'm in that same boat. I mean, the condos down the street are insane. So, yeah, I think housing and it and it is an, it's across the spectrum. I mean, the folks that have seen their property values increase know that it's at, at the peril of affordability and wages are not kept pace. Housing affordability certainly is going to be an issue, but it's also I mean, that is a component of homelessness, but it's not the whole component. Which, sure. I mean, there's a drug abuse problem going right. on. There's a fentanyl problem going on. Um, it's like there's parts of Phoenix where you literally have to watch how you drive because people are jumping out in front of your car. It's like driving through a zombie video game. Yep. It's, we've got to address these problems at some point. My guests, Marcus Delartino of First Strategic and Stacey Pearson of Lumen Strategies. And we'll start this segment with the U.S. Supreme Court ruling this year overturning Roe v. Wade, which played a significant role in the midterm elections. And I asked Stacey how big of an impact that decision will be in Arizona going forward. So I have hope that there will be some solution at the federal level that paves the way at the local level, um, or at, the, at least at the statewide. Senator Cinema filed a bill before, just before the holidays, and I don't think she would have done that had she not been able to clear the um, filibuster threshold. And so there may be some, some element of protection for victims of incest and rape or women who are um, whose lives are in danger. So hopefully there's a federal fix in and we'll see what happens with this territorial ban, which is just bonkers. Marcus, is this going to be an issue you think that comes up at the state capitol again or are they going to wait maybe for the lawsuits to play out and maybe, as Stacey said, see what happens on the federal level? I think they will prepare for the federal lawsuits, um, meaning They'll have a they'll ha, depending on how those lawsuits are ruled on. They'll have a plan on on how to move forward. And are we still assuming that there's going to be some kind of ballot measure in two years to potentially enshrine abortion rights into either into the statute or the constitution? Definitely, that work is already underway. So, I want to ask you also about Rusty Bowers because he had a pretty eventful year. He. Uh, testified uh, before the January 6th commission. Of course, we all know the story about President Trump and his lawyer trying to get him to overturn the election and all, all that stuff. And the protesters outside his house, he was given a profile uh, in Courage Award. He then lost his primary to get elected to the Senate. I'm curious, when you look sort of on average of the year that that man had, what goes through your mind, Marcus? It's a brutal year. Um, and I think about as a dad, he was burying his his daughter. Yeah, during yeah. this whole time that people were trying to kill him, trying to come on his property and threaten him, um, threaten his family, and so I think of it more as a dad, which is tougher. Um, yeah, but uh, he is. I mean, it, the guy who had an impact, he certainly had a heck of an impact, um, and and. You know, I, he's an old Arizona family and he is as fair as the day is long. Indeed. I will tell you that. Um, there's been plenty of times I've disagreed with him. There's been plenty of times we've agreed together, but he'll always hear you out um, and certainly ask you a lot of questions. Um, and and he's funny. He cracks me up, frankly. Um, but 
I think he had a huge impact. Um, in, and whether you agree with the rest of these or not, right or wrong, I think the Board of Supervisors certainly had an impact. Maricopa County. Yeah, one yeah. way or the other. Whether you like, whether you don't agree with it, their impact or you don't, you can't you can't disagree with the fact that they had an impact. So those are just a few on my list. Stacy, who do you were the most impactful politicos in Arizona this year? Oh, I guess if we measure on publicity value, Brenovich certainly was um, using his office as a publicity machine. Um, so there's that. Wildly unsuccessfully, I'll add as a footnote. Um, so certainly that was that. Um, but I, I agree, Rusty Bowers. I mean, that gentleman made Arizona proud regardless of what political persuasion um, in his defiance of illegal orders. I mean, he did the right thing at a very difficult time. And I agree with Marcus, knowing behind the scenes what he had yeah. going on is just unfathomable. So neither one of you mentioned Kirsten Cinema as among the most impactful Arizonans. Interesting. I, I do think, you know, it's late in the year. I mean, and there's a lot of big stories here. I do think it's impactful. I especially think it's impactful if a couple things happen. And that is, if another member of the U.S. Senate, like a Romney or a um, West Virginia Joe guy, Manchin, Joe mm-hmm. Manchin, decide, you know what, she's got a point. I'm switching to independent. That starts a movement, and it's hard to stop a movement, and that would be a big thing. Right now, I don't. I mean, listen, this is just me playing out loud. I don't think that that's necessarily going to happen, but it's a theory. And I thought, it, you know, it was a major announcement. There's no, there's no getting about around it. Yeah, I. It's interesting because I think the change of party best reflects the leadership she promised Arizona when she got elected to begin with. And I've I've remained confused by people's confusion. And I mean, people of my political persuasion, you know, the third of the population, less than a third of the population who identifies right. Democrats. And so uh, her ability to get things done and to get over that filibuster threshold is exactly what she asked for when she got elected is give me a minute. We're not going to change the rules. We're not going to be the party that changes the rules because we can get through them and around them. And changing the rules is how we got the Supreme Court. So thanks, Harry Reid. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch her work. Well, it sounds like what you're saying is that she can sort of position herself as the voice of reason, right? Like she's not beholden to anybody. She's She is the cooler heads that prevail. She literally wrote a book called Unite and Conquer right. that walked through her political Like a growth. philosophy, Yeah, right? philosophy, lessons learned, um, Maturity, political maturity is the word I was looking for, okay. that really walks through activism versus policymaking. And as strong as you may believe in the position that you're in as an activist, when you are sitting at a table next to somebody who's just as strongly entrenched in opposition, you have to find compromise or nothing gets done. And we've seen this time and time again. The other thing is we, nobody wants to look at door number three, which is she could just not run again. She hasn't said, I'm definitely running, I'm in. Here's the name of my campaign and, you know, write a check. She she hasn't answered that question. So she could very well wait to the last minute and say, adios, I'm taking a big fat job in Belgium or, you know, wherever she wants to go. I made that up totally. Sure. <laughs> Belgium's nice. They have good chocolate. France, yeah. maybe? France. I don't know. Nearby? Yeah. Maybe nearby. Do you think there's any chance that she doesn't run? I don't believe that she will not run, but there is that chance. I'll give it 5%. 
So looking ahead to 2023, who are you guys looking out for on the state level? Let's start sort of state government in terms of who might have the biggest impacts. Marcus, you'd mentioned, for example, the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. You both mentioned Rusty Bowers. Marcus, who are you looking out for as a sort of a difference maker in 2023? Ooh. That's a good one. Yeah, that is a good question. I think, um, and this is going to be a little strange, but Stacey will get it. I think Chris Mays in the Attorney General's Um, office will make a big (laughs) hope. Were you guys talking before we came in here? Come on. I think that will be, I don't think anybody's paying attention to it, but I think that that will be a bigger issue for Republicans than they think moving forward. How so? Well, you know, I I think she will be less apt to sue cities uh, and counties under 1487. Um, You know, remember, Brnovich was working hand in hand sort of with the legislature. I don't think that that relationship is going to continue. And so that's why I say it will have a bigger impact. It may not be as sexy as people think, but I think it will have a bigger impact than people realize. All right. So since Marcus stole your first answer, who's your second answer? My second answer is everyone's favorite drunk uncle Tom Horn, who thankfully... When Katie Hobbs got elected, the legislature stripped that office of many, many of its duties or its responsibilities. And so thankfully, I think he's going to um, have a lot of publicity, but perhaps a minimal impact on the day-to-day in our schools. What are you looking at in terms of the relationship between the Republican-controlled legislature and Governor-elect Katie Hobbs? This is going to be a fascinating one, right? It, it is, is her administration going to mold in the form of a senator cinema and start to build relationships with moderates and stand up to the fringe on the left, which there certainly is. Is she going to fund DPS, for example? I mean, is she going to increase funding? Are they going to address, again, the pension shortfalls? Is she going to be supportive of police and and at, at you know and take that political risk from the primary voters? Marcus, what are you looking for to see maybe clues as to how that relationship might get built? I, <laughs> I, it's going to be rough. Um, I think you you look at the first couple of weeks after swearing in and see if there's any you know any compromise legislation moving forward. Uh, but remember, the name of the game for Republicans, whether we like it or not, is to sort of limit her wins as much as they can. Right. Now, I will tell you, when you're governor, it's it's a tough thing to clip the wings when you're when you're a governor. I mean, you're in the bully pulpit and you got. You've got the bully ball, but period. Um, but they'll be looking for those opportunities. And frankly, I think a lot of those opportunities are going to be looked for are going to revolve around illegal immigration is sort of where where if I had to guess where the flag would get planted, I'd plant it there. Do you anticipate that there will be areas where they can compromise? I'm sure there will be. I just can't think of one right now. I would hope if there is anything in the pl- on the planet that we can compromise on somehow, some way, I hope it's water. Mm-hmm. I hope we find a solution for water because before, before today's day and age, Arizona had a history of water was a bipartisan issue yeah. and Democrats and Republicans worked together uh, to make sure we were well supplied. And I, I just pray to God that that continues moving forward. Stacey, do you see areas where... Governor Hobbs and and Republicans in the legislature can compromise? I would. Yes, I do. Um, And in addition to water, I would say criminal justice reform, um, which there was an initiative that was drafted in 2020. And during the pandemic failed to gather enough signatures that was supported bipartisan. It was um, allowing for um, folks to reduce sentences that at this point, Arizona has some of the longest sentences for nonviolent offenses, so drug offenses, in the nation. So there was bipartisan support to reduce 
those lengths of sentences for nonviolent offenders who completed rehab and treatment and education programs ultimately save the state money and reduce particularly the private prison population. So I, I think there are folks at this point, the corrections budget's bonkers. And so I think conservative, fiscally conservative Republicans are looking at that, too. All right. We'll have to leave it there. Marcus Delartino for Strategic, Stacey Pearson of Lumen Strategies. Thanks to you both for coming in. Happy New Year. Thank Happy you. Happy New Year. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.